0: Are you your own worst enemy? Do you get in your own way, or do you give yourself permission to succeed? After years of epic dinner parties, long lunches and boozy brunches, we bring you Shaken and Stirred. Or rather, we are Shaken and Stirred. Well, I think I've already been invited to a Korean scrub down by our guest, and we haven't even got started. I think, Tom, you actually... Advised yourself. No, I did not invite <laughs> myself. But then again, who wouldn't? I mean, just listen to the voice. Guys, this is Shaken and Stirred. I'm Nigel Barker. I'm back with my co-host, Tom Astor. And our guest today has really, she really helped define the grunge movement, in my opinion, in the 1990s. Because when I look back, I, your face comes straight to mind, actually. So for better or for worse, we can talk about that when we start to talk. You became a very successful actress, in my opinion, and you've done some amazing things. And now you're becoming a playwright. Please welcome the sexiest voice to ever be heard on the Shaken and Stirred show. Michelle Hicks, oh, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. I have to live up to that. Listen wow. to that voice. <laughs> no, pressure.
0: no pressure whatsoever. No pressure. I was hoping you could actually do my navigation voice.
1: Ah, uh, you know, my kid just changed mine to a British man.
0: Oh really? Yeah. And so, is it different now when you take a left?
1: It's much different. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you see could you only imagine if she was you know directing you you'd probably just
2: never end you'd say you can constantly redirect yourself to a further destination <laughs> tom what are we drinking we are drinking a gin and tonic uh with monkey 47 gin today which has got a very interesting story behind it smells it. amazing it smells those... amazing it tastes amazing and the story behind it is rather amazing it was um the creation of a comm- a, a british commander um montgomery collins who after the second world war was posted to germany um and he this guy had been he'd been been brought up in madras um he had moved moved to germany anyway after the war to help rebuild berlin and um he was stationed there and he had a passion for uh, uh gin who wouldn't yeah i do and he took his passion with him um, to Germany, where it, it wasn't readily available. And he went off into the Black Forest and created um, this gin that we're drinking today, which has got 40, called Monkey Forty Seven. The reason behind that is it, it contains forty-seven different botanicals in it, which is more than any other gin. But does not make you in, into a monkey at the end. Doesn't make you into monkey. And the monkey element of it is during his um, kind of tenure in in Germany, he helped rebuild the Berlin, the zoo in Berlin, and. He he adopted um a monkey called max
0: i love that yeah and by the way it is actually fabulous i this is you know there's a lot of things that I, I drink and i drink probably too much but i'm a big gin drinker have been for years my dad uh was a gin drinker and he had one every day at five o'clock in the afternoon and i've sort of adopted that uh, i kind of it's my first thing to go very refreshing a great gin and tom- i've become my father but my father <laughs> did not have monkey 47 um had he had monkey 47 i think you know it it almost sounds too good to be true to be honest so cheers cheers michelle enjoy
2: cheers thank you very much delicious Mm. and by the way consumed in these rather special monkey 47 ceramic cups that i think keep it colder longer
0: which is, you know, it's interesting because obviously we talk a lot about cocktails on Shaken Instead. I was
1: wondering, actually, because I was like, where's the fancy glassware?
0: Mm. Well, this is fancy glassware. It's, it's not glass, right? It's, it's ceramicware. No. And I think they're actually the, 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 how oh you drink God. your gin and tonic. And I, Funnily enough, I actually designed a gin and tonic glass, um, which was very different. And there's a lot of things that go into uh, gin and tonic glasses. And this is the only other gin and tonic glass that I've seen that is different from, because most people, when you say gin and tonic, what are you going to put it in? They just give you anything. Tumbler. It's a tumbler. It's a highball. It can be anything. But this is very much a specific glass and I almost wish that I would thought about ceramic actually because it does keep it very, very cold. You can't see it, which is interesting. You can't see the drink. No. But with Monkey 47, because of the 47 botanicals, I do think that the smell comes straight through which is very unique and delicious. So... But moving on, moving on, you, you've served a few drinks in your time, have you not, Michelle?
1: I have, yes. I uh, first moved to New York and worked at Limelight as a bartender.
0: And, and what, what must that have been like, you as a bartender?
1: Um, yeah, I was a bartender for a number of years. Um, uh, it was called SlimeLight back then.
0: SlimeLight. So it's
1: kind of... What, when were you talking
0: about When is this? 19 what?
1: Nine eighties? eighties. Late 80s? eighties. <laughs> yeah.
0: I remember going to the limelight in 91. Were you a bartender then?
1: I was probably just about done, maybe? Or that was the year. No, I was working that year, actually, probably. So in like 89, 90, 91, somewhere. Else. What was
0: it like? What was the club scene like back then?
1: I mean, I don't know. I think Lime Night was a very specific um, club in that uh, at the time, it, one night was Rock and Roll Church, one night was an alternative night. Because
0: Lime Night is a church.
1: It is a church, yes. And it's no longer a club. Um, it's so sad to see a store in it when you walk by it it, but, is um, it is yeah, tragic. Totally it is totally tragic.
0: tragic. But, you know, New York has changed.
1: Yeah, New York's changed quite a bit. And um, it used to have a different night for everything. So the church, Rock and Roll Church was one night, and Alternative was another night, and then they started the... Um, Uh, uh, Disco 2000 which was the Club Kids on Wednesdays and that kind of started that whole phase is basically around the time I was living there so it was different every night you know Um, it was pretty wild place. Did you have a favorite night? I saw a lot of stuff in that place um I liked Rock and Roll Church at the time I guess because I was kind of um still in my god which is phase. not the
0: church of rock and roll this is this is rock and roll church this is a different thing the, yeah. the, the church of rock and roll is a completely different
1: thing yeah but there was a lot of people that were coming in like i remember i think uh uh, Guns N' Roses. I mean, metal. Like people were just coming through there at that time. So um, when they were quite new,
0: and they were these were new bands at the time. So they were they famous at that point? Were they performing?
1: I think they were performing. Yeah, but they, they were in their early years. So,
0: so basically, you were at the limelight, and Metallica was playing there.
1: I don't think they played, but they were definitely hung out there
0: so as the bartender I what, up yeah what were people ordering back then what, what, what was that like that whole process oh, for you
1: well I mean it depends on the night sometimes you had the alternative nights the kids just wanted water and they were annoying because
0: <laughs> because they're, they're doing drugs though at that point right
1: uh, I guess or they're broke you know one or the other um but I, I think drinks have changed quite a bit, actually. I think then it was pretty simple. Like, you're going to get a screwdriver, or Mm. you're going to get a beer, or you're going to get – just uh, now –
2: You were a bartender as opposed to a mixologist. Yeah, you
1: weren't necessarily a mixologist. I mean, I knew how to make drinks, but – Now I feel like it's really about craft cocktails and, you know, you go out and people have these very, you know, complicated drinks to order and they've like fermented things for days and, you know, they have all these different, um, you know, drinks cost like $25 and they've got, you know, a bunch of different elements in them. But I think back then it was much more simple. I didn't think, I don't think that craft thing was uh, going on then.
0: And the actual scene there, I mean, I I remember Limelight when I was, I guess I must have been myself in my early 20s, um, early 90s when I was there in the early 90s. And I remember it being this sort of crazy club with like weird room. There was like a room that you would go in and people yeah. would be doing all kinds of crazy stuff in it. And I was actually slightly <laughs> scared, actually, every once in a while of what was going on.
1: Yeah, there was a night called Screw Magazine Night. Um, I don't know <laughs> if anybody remembers that Horrible magazine, Screw magazine, um, but we all had to work that night, especially if you were a girl. Um, and um, it was pretty, pretty. Um,
0: what happened? What was that like?
1: Um, it was a porno magazine, basically. So the crowd was very. Um, it was um yeah interesting. They would have like performances. I mean, you walk into rooms, you see stuff you probably didn't want to see. Scoring. It was um it was pretty full on. I remember know? actually
0: going into a club called um, Hell once.
1: Oh. I think I
0: remember Hell. Hell. It was a club called Hell. And I got in there by accident, of course. And uh, when I was in Hell, I walked up to the bar. And I had sort of gently kicked the bottom of the bar. And there was a sort of a, 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 bit of a noise happened. And they I looked down. The slave or and there was someone wrapped up in a, in, a, in a carpet at the bottom of the bar. And they liked to be kicked. Yeah. I mean the weirdest things happened at nightclubs
1: Yeah,
0: you know so I, I, I mean look I've, all these things though at the same time were quite fascinating and, and I know that that time in New York New York was a really interesting place to be and you're not a New Yorker though are you I mean you have become a New Yorker but you're not originally from New York i Come on now. Yeah. Where, where are you from?
1: I'm Bridge and Tunnel, honey.
0: No. You're a good Jersey girl. You I are.
1: Um. But the, literally 20 minutes outside of Manhattan. So. Oh, uh, listen
0: to you. I love it. No, no, no. But Don't I, deny your roots. I,
1: I am a Jersey girl. I totally, uh, you know, I, I'm proud of it. Um, but I'm pretty close by, though. You know, I mean, um, Bridge and Tunnel. There you go. So what?
0: What you know? Obviously, you came to New York just obviously for work and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. you know there's this sort of you know, the, the whole Jersey girl thing we have it in England too it's like an Essex girl yeah, Essex you know well, so we exactly. have this and every place has something like that mm-hmm. was that a stigma that you you enjoyed or it didn't really exist back then or has it always been around
1: I mean yeah it's always been around I think it was a little bit more pronounced then um, where does it come from I, it's just a look or you know uh
2: attitude though isn't it? it's tough, but then I was reading up a bit about uh, Nigel had a story about you apparently apparently go, going up well, I never believe anything he says really, but mm-hmm. um you can verify you shouldn't uh, you can verify um in a club you apparently getting in in someone was you know hassling his wife hassling Chrissy your wife right and and you apparently got in there and, and sorted them out which kind of bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> Do not mess with Michelle, people. Look, she may
0: be one of the most beautiful women you've ever set eyes on. She might have a voice I... like honey, but she will also throw down.
1: His wife and I were actually standing outside, oh. um, and somebody came by. His wife, she was in this this, this beautiful dress, but tiny legs, you know, whatever mm. I mean. And and she's. A, very nice a little too nice when it came to the situation and she's like yeah and the guy was like and then he's like oh honey and he like grabbed her and i was like yo that's my girlfriend and i kind of just jumped in between them and he was like all right i was like dude what are you doing what are you doing what are you doing and then he was like okay i'm sorry but i mean she was like you know he was totally taking advantage i get i guess yeah
0: i look i love the fact (laughs) i'm just looking at you too you just like there's fire there there's absolute (laughs) fire did you you, have you always been like that is that had you've had that kind of ability to take care of yourself basically
1: uh yeah i guess where does Um, that come from i I was on my own since i was quite young so i guess that was uh out of survival
0: and when you say on your own you mean not being provided more by your parents or just out there in the world living and working and
1: um yeah i mean i had a very kind of uh, chaotic childhood and i was emancipated when i was 16
0: Emancipated. Mm-hmm. That's a very specific word. It is
1: a very specific word, yes.
0: So I mean, not to obviously take you down any kind of road, but it's interesting, I think, and very inspiring for people because the, the world has changed. I mean, and, and it is obviously still has a, a lot more work to do. But we're at a point now where the concept of obviously emancipation and sort of freedom and empowerment... Are very much on the agenda, and, and, and people are, are really reacting, I believe, not everywhere, but I think just the fact that we're aware of it and talking about it is obviously already a, a big change. Um, you know, you, you started your career as a bartender, you talk about, and then you moved into modeling. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another industry where women were taking advantage of in many respects for a very long time. T- take us back a little bit into that world when, when you was it when you were a bartender that you were discovered? how were you discovered it, it, as a, to become a model
1: um I think I was trying to pursue modeling um at the same time that I was bartending and it, I wasn't really getting any kind of traction and i really needed to make money so this I, was what was time done. the
0: 1980s it, yeah, late like 80s 89
1: 90 probably um so
0: pre-grunge pre-androgyny pre-heroin sh- chic at yeah, this point
1: so, so it wasn't really the right look you right know? i mean essentially it's all about timing isn't it I well mean, exactly it's about timing isn't it um but yeah so i i i gave that up and then i started working in clubs and you know i was making actually pretty good money and then i was working doors and then i was bar managing and so you know there i there was the survival and the I needed to make money to live part and then I think at one point basically what happened was I remember working the door of a club called Vunderbar um and there was a lot of fashion parties this is where you learned to throw down
0: by the way working the door
1: working the door you learned to throw down yeah. and I got yeah you know I remember I spit on punched in the stomach I mean even with security around you you know people it's pretty it can get pretty intense depending on the crowd you know um but uh Um, I think it was working there to get back to the story and, you know, then there was a lot of fashion crowd there and then people were like, you know, you really should try modeling, you know, and then over and over and over again. I mean, I remember Nicole Miller threw a party there one night and she's like, oh, I'll dress you for the door. And she's like, you know, you really need to model. Like, what are you doing? You know, and I'm like, oh, well, I don't know. You know, I'm and I guess when you hear the same thing over and over, you're like, okay, so um give it a go. I gave it a go yeah you know that job ended and I was like you know what I, I, I'm gonna give it a go for a while and see what happens and um I was very fortunate that I kind of just you know got picked up pretty quickly and moved pretty quickly. But you
0: say fortunate but I think as you mentioned as well timing is so important so crucial and mm-hmm. it, that moment in history is a very pivotal moment in fashion history you know because you talk about the late 80s now I started modeling in the late 80s myself and it was a moment of incredible glamour, you know, the this, this sort of supermodels. It was all curves and excess and over-the-top and mm. hairspray and, you know, loads of colour and gold. And it was gaudy. It was somewhat gross. You know, there are quotes of models saying, I'm not going to get out of bed for less than $10,000 a day. It was everything that was to do with the 80s and excess, you know, flash, flash, flash. And there was a sort of, I guess, a knee-jerk reaction, which is what happens so often. And there's like a reset. And I think that you know people often love to poo-poo the fashion industry, but it's quite interesting actually if you look at what happens and you see how it it really mirrors society and what they're looking for and what they want and tries to help explain it and how so many designers like Anna Sui, who I'm sure you, you obviously was big in your career, yes. uh, people like Mark Jacobs who rose at that moment who sort of could see it, that there was a change happening and were able to sort of help communicate the message that young people no one longer wanted to be. Associated with sort of gaudiness and over the top glamour, and you know, and they wanted to be things like Calvin Klein's one campaign, and they wanted the it's a sort of movement of androgyny, and and like I'm not going to wear makeup, makeup, you know, yes. and, and all of that kind of thing. So at that moment, for you, you know, I, it was it's interesting because you know you have this beautiful pale skin, and you, very very white, with dark black hair and the, your early pictures I look at them and you have these big kind of doe eyes And there is a sort of sadness in some of the pictures in your eyes in those mm-hmm. pictures and I've often wondered was that something that you were told to do or was that just the way you felt how did you feel back then
1: what was it like um, I mean I, I think I've always had a touch of melancholy I mean you know uh, I just you know it's, it, comes, it, mm-hmm. it, it works to my favor in some film roles it works to my favor in you know a certain kind of uh, portraits I can have a shitload of fun too but- I know that <laughs> But um, you know, I, I I there's you know maybe a sadness you know underneath. So, um, I guess when you expose yourself, you know those things come out. Um, but uh, I, um, what was the question? <laughs> uh, I, well, I, I, the question you've answered,
0: it. You, you've answered yeah. the question. I mean, I think really it was what was that like at that moment? Because that look in your face, you know, because modeling isn't you know it's not acting, but it is acting, and it can be acting. But I feel like the best models are people who like oftentimes actors can just be, and, and they, it emotes from within. It yeah. comes, it's a sort of soulful thing. And people go, oh, come on, you're modeling. It's not like that. And are like, trust me, when you find someone, why, why does one person become a muse? Why does one person, like a designer like Anasui say, you know, I want Michelle Hicks to be a, the face of my campaign, and it's because of you know the the, the fact that you were so plugged into the zeitgeist at the time. Maybe because you were working in clubs and you were part of the the scene, and and you kind of you were a kid at the time, and that was that whole you know fashion is always desperately trying to tune in to what is being said.
1: I mean, I I think also too. I mean, I, I was I was a kid, but I had had such a already such a pretty intense life, you know, and I think that comes across to a certain degree, you know, in your eyes and whatever. So, you know, by the time I was... I actually started modeling old. I was 21 when I started modeling.
0: Ancient by modeling standards.
1: ancient by modeling standards, but I look like a baby, you know, so everybody just said lie and say you're 17. I'm like, okay, okay, you Mm. know, and I did, you know, and everybody liked to hear that and that worked, so... Um, But at 21, I had already had been on my own for six years or seven years and
0: you know uh, well, what was that I, like how are you on life. your own for that long at that age I mean where who are you living with then
1: <laughs> um I it depends on what year. <laughs> um I yeah, that's complicated I mean I moved to New York I think when I was 18 and I lived um it, very soon after moved in with two or three of the girls I was working on limelight and I was like four of us in one of those tiny duplex apartments with no wall upstairs and like sleeping everywhere and-
0: but it is fascinating and I, I know listen it's very private very personal kind of information and I'm, I'm not trying to sort of necessarily pull that sort of things out of you but obviously i, I what i find inspiring about your story is that there, and there are people listening here and, it, and it's it's very unique that you they, they see your success now they see what your life has become and you know you've, you've have a beautiful son and you know i I myself have two beautiful children and i'm very lucky very privileged but it hasn't always been that way and that isn't in a way you started and you were able to change the direction of life and and build on you know your life and take control of aspects of it and that i think is the story here it's Mm -hmm. it's how you know people don't always get what they want when they're born you know they're not your delta hand and you kind of have to deal with it but it's how you deal with that hand it's how you pick yourselves up it's how you direct yourself and you know, I know that within my own career, I, as I mentioned, I started in the '80s. It was that bohemian moment. I'm a big guy, and when androgyny and, and heron chic came around, yeah, was that was it was a dive for me because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm never gonna get shorter, smaller. I'm never gonna look like a little boy because I've looked like a like a man since I was about 12. You know, so that there's there's a, you know, I knew I had to change, and for me, that's what was the shift to becoming a photographer because I'm like, I don't want to give up something that I've I've spent so much time and energy, and I've learned, and I've met so many great people. And photography could be a career for me, and I enjoy it, so let me try. And so for many years, I I, I became a photographer during that time of the grunge and heroin chic movement. But it was a tough time in modeling you know and I remember just the, for you well for, but it was an
1: easy time for me for
0: you you, you had it great
1: <laughs> so I mean it's always so
0: what was it like talk about talk us through it. what was fun about I'm, it
1: I'm, and, then to, and to get back to what you're saying I mean I, I think it's about adaptability too. Right. you know I mean I, I've had to change careers of uh, course a number of times at this point you know it's just you can't be hitting yourself against a brick wall if you're not going forward you have to believe you know in what you're doing I think but you know you get the signs you know that something's not working and you have to refigure it you have to reinvent yourself which is basically what you did as a photographer you know I, I started in the nightclub business I was like a bar managing a place and thinking about going to help run another place and open it and then took the turn into going into modeling and then while I was in modeling I I did uh, I? I opened a Pilates studio because uh, I knew modeling wasn't going to last forever, and so you, you opened
0: know. your own Pilates studio.
1: Yes, I did.
0: What was that like?
1: That was very cool. It was uh, with a friend of mine who was had uh, was it was it was very. It's all about timing yet again.
0: It was but not- Pilates is, is, is so. You still into Pilates?
1: I do it all the time. Yeah,
0: that's why. You're, well, you're in amazing shape. But I mean, that's not unusual for models in general to be in good shape. Yeah. But oftentimes, healthy looking, but not necessarily healthy. Because they're, you know, because they're working out, they're obviously eating. You no, know. I work out. You work out all the yeah. time. I
2: think at this point, Nigel would like a return compliment.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay, so, uh, he's so, so you and I, I have fishing. To do, no, sorry, am I fishing?
2: fishing? Can you just do, do Nigel, put us out of this look, You are. An had you, awesome, wait, had wait,
1: you wait. not noticed me clenching <laughs> my <laughs> bicep I'm here sorry, as we're you, talking? Him and his wife together. Are yeah. you kidding yeah. me? Yeah,
2: yeah, I doing, like, she works bodies. wonders for him. She works. Oh she makes God. She makes him look a I, whole. I
1: got to come to the dog pound with you once. Yeah. You
0: are more than advised.
1: I'm pretty hardcore, but I'm you know I never take that. You got to mix it up sometimes, right?
0: And do you mix it up? Because I tried Pilates, and I tell you what, I really couldn't. I'm not that I couldn't stand it it wasn't that it was just very hard I it's found it really, really tough I mean you have to be quite nimble Chrissy was very good at Pilates of
1: course
0: well yeah she of course was, yeah. right? she's good at everything <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm but she also
1: it. has the body for it I mean you know I, I think it's also good for men I mean I take a very hard, a hardcore uh, type of it um at this point but uh there's also very therapeutic aspects to it too so if you're in recovery or you you know have injuries and stuff if you work with the right people there can be a lot of therapeutic aspects to it at this point i'm doing pilates that's just really hardcore because i've been doing it for so long so well
0: trainers can be like therapists I mean, it's funny because you do spend a lot of time with them if you have a, a trainer one-on-one and, they, they, you know, you're trying to get your body in shape. It's a bit – it's major for people mentally. Yeah. You know, you're thinking like, you know, my body sucks. This guy's helping me. And they're, you know, they're empowering you to yeah. you know, pick yourself up and to train and to get through it. But it's not just the training, right? It, it, for me, the major part of it is also the diet.
1: Yeah, I think it's... Not your, for you? You just naturally no, no, got a great no, 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 metabolism? The diet, I mean, definitely. And especially as you get older, like, the diet changes. You, like, you don't metabolize as quickly.
0: Well, my problem is that no matter what I'm eating, I... Yeah, st- the, st- the, the alcohol. Th- this.
1: You know, you, you stop drinking at least a couple pounds pretty quickly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I know, but I don't even want to hang out with myself then.
1: Yeah, well, there's that part. <laughs> oh God, oh, no. I have to be happy too, don't you? Um, I, I, I think, yeah, I think it's just about you know whether you, uh, you uh, what your initiative is, you know, and whether you're like focused on it. Um, empowerment goes back to your word. You know? I, I
0: think it's a, the, it's the word and the mantra of the moment. Uh, I think it's in, in, uh, empowerment on all levels and not just. Female empowerment, which of course, is crazy yeah. important. And I've got my, my daughter who I've, you know, is such a s- sort of force in our family now. She really feels like she can do anything and conquer the world. And actually, I, I sometimes think that I have to sort of help build up my son more. But it's just in general showing love to our children and, and bringing them up so that they feel empowered to, to be whoever they are. Whoever they are, not whoever we want them to be, but whoever they actually are and saying that's okay and allowing them to be you know whatever they need to be and you know we you live in new york i live in new york there's this is a city where it can be super tough
1: yeah i think there's um there's a resilience I, I empowerment i i was having this really interesting conversation with somebody else on um about a documentary that I'm working on. I can't talk about it yet, but I'll tell you soon. Um, And... I have to have you back. There are these, like, you have to know that when you're in those moments when things are super, super low, that you're not going to stay there. You know, that, Things change. You just have to go through that moment. And I think that's, you know, I don't know if that gets back to empowerment, but like people feel like, oh, hey, this is the end of the world. This is going to be my life. And And it doesn't, you know, like we all have those dark times.
0: The chapters. We
1: all have those chapters where nothing's going right. We failed miserably. Things, you know, horrible things are happening you can move through it. You can go out the other side. And I, I think that that's something that you need to know and, and I think that's something to impart to our kids because, you know, a lot of kids don't give know the how tools. to deal with give failure, them the, you give know. Give the tools, yeah. It's like we all fail. We fail, you know, like it's part of life and, and you probably learn the most from your failures and then you'll just get back up, pick yourself up and you can move on to the next thing. You're not going to be there forever, are you?
0: No, no, absolutely. My daughter came home from school yesterday and, and she was I, I was, I drove her home and she said, Daddy, I, there's something I've got got to talk to you about i'm like okay you know just when we get in the car I'm like okay so we, we were walking along and she, we get in the car and she's like so i got in trouble and i got moved at school then she burst into tears i'm like what do you mean you got moved she goes well, I, I I didn't mean to, Daddy. I I was talking and I was talking too much. And but I've I've, I've, I've explained it and, I've, you know, and I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, honey, it's fine. Don't I'm, don't worry. It's fine. Don't, you can't be perfect all the time. She goes, but I don't like being in trouble and I don't like being you know told off. And she was really sort of sobbing. And there was that that moment where you know I was both obviously wanting to make her feel better, but at the same time there was an element of like, well, okay, you know. You're sort of taking responsibility and you're, you're reacting to a moment. But there's also this incredible pressure that kids feel to mm. be perfect. And, yeah. you know, and that, that you know, and I'm like, well, goodness me, if you didn't, if you weren't naughty once in a while, you wouldn't really be my daughter. And I sort of said that to her. And then she looked at me and I was like, come on, how wicked do you think your dad was at school? How naughty do you think he was on a regular basis? I'm like, don't worry. It's fine you know, I said, obviously, be your best to be to be sweet and to be nice and to be friendly, but you're going to be naughty once in a while and talking isn't so bad. But it was just this sort of extraordinary moment where you could see just how much she was upset by this moment, and how it could affect her had I had we handled it differently, or had she not had an outlet to actually talk to me about it, and and sort of wrap it up.
1: I agree, there's a tremendous pressure on kids, you know, things are not black and white, (laughs) you know, like people are not black and white either. And I think we all have a shadow side shall we say you know I mean we do and so sometimes that comes out and sometimes we do something that we don't necessarily feel so proud of or not the best choice but hopefully you learn from it and you move on and
0: it can be described as edge and you as a model I think it was described as edgy I was
1: definitely described as edgy yes what does that mean I, I really don't know um I cool edgy I knew that the people that weren't calling edgy made more money <laughs> And the edgy and cool ones always did the cool things, which paid less. So I was like, that's all I remember. But what does that mean? I don't know. Well,
0: that's the fashion industry. I think a lot of times people get confused by what's being a success in the modeling industry is some of the bigger names. And you obviously, the names are. are 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 you know yeah. successful and financially successful but the there's an element of if you're only doing editorial work and working for the big magazines you're getting paid peanuts Nothing. <laughs> Yeah, you know and yet you've got this very impressive portfolio you, you, you know someone like a Cindy Crawford was able to navigate both a, sort of a Pepsi commercial simultaneously she was sort of doing Vogue and that's a very unusual position to be in to be able to sort of do the big commercial jobs and your career you, you did obviously you did a lot of editorial and some great covers and stuff what was your do you, is there a favorite job or designer that you worked for that you felt you know you really collaborated well with
1: well I mean I was lucky to work with quite a few people um I mean extraordinary talented people extraordinarily talented people um you know well, Mizell
0: you worked a lot with him I, I did
1: I, I started um a lot of my first stuff was with Mizell um and that really got the ball rolling um as far as that made everybody else pay attention. So I'm. Mean, that was. I'm very grateful.
0: Did he? Did he break your career? Is he the one who sort of got you into it?
1: I mean, I. I believe. Yeah, he was sort of probably one of the first. You know, I think my first two shoots were Stephen Klein and Stephen Meisel. You know, um, and Meisel did a number of shoots with me. You know, Dolce and Gabbana campaign, uh, Italian Vogue, Italian. Glamour, uh, a number of things. And once everybody heard that I was shooting with him, then everybody else wanted to shoot me. So, yeah, he totally got the ball rolling as far as that's concerned with my career. He introduced me to Anna Sui, uh, Sui who um, I did her – she was the first show I ever did. I became her muse for a while. I did all the looks for her collections for years after that. And we're very good friends still actually from that. But, you know, it introduced me to this whole world You know that um, – that I've gotten so much from.
0: And, but designers like Anna Sui and Marc Jacobs were rising talent at that time. Yes. They were sort of emerging. Now they're sort of household names and have sort of done lines with just about everybody in collections and collaborations. And then I went to
1: Paris and Galliano was just emerging. Right. And I did some of his early shows and he's one of the most brilliant people in in the industry too. So, you know, I was there. You know, I think it was a very pivotal time, you know. Alexander McQueen, Galliano. you know. I mean, it was just a whole new force of people breathing in um, a very much needed breath of fresh air and creativity into that business, um, and and that changed the business quite a bit, you know. And then, I think was the- it
0: called Heroin Chic t- to your face at that point, or was that an after? I mean,
1: that was just a minute. I feel like there was like a year or two it was called that, but then it kind of just.
0: And was there a lot of drugs? I mean, the word Heroin Chic suggests that people were sort of drugged-looking or druggy. Um, I mean, I, I you know I didn't I never saw necessarily that aspect of it, but it was talked about a lot i mean it, you know don't forget people like kate moss was mentioned by congress for being too skinny and that it was a sort of disgusting and outrageous at the yeah. time
1: i mean you know some people are just naturally skinny you know especially at a certain age you're talking about girls that are like seven, eighteen 18 years old they they haven't really filled out yet you know sometimes um d- but i'm not saying that the industry has doesn't uh, put undue pressure on young girls to stay skinny and there's plenty of girls that have eating disorders because of that so i'm totally aware of that and i saw that too um was there drugs around there's always drugs around if you're looking for them <laughs> oh, right? i mean anywhere you know i mean there's always a certain portion of the population that's doing drugs you know the, the drugs change it's cocaine it's heroin it's you know whatever it is for the moment but it's um,
0: never chic is the it, I think is is the yeah. fact of the matter. I
1: mean, I don't know where that heroin chic. I just I guess it was a look of being skinny, you know, and you know whatever. But um, I didn't really like that. That, that, you oh. know, heroin cheek. Waif is one thing. It's just saying that that's what your body looks like. Heroin cheek is implying something totally different.
0: But, it, you know, obviously, like, the world looks at fashion and they look at the fashion industry and they look at models and they look at what designers are doing. And, and absolutely, as I mentioned earlier, I, you know, and I, I wrote a book about this called Models of Influence and it's about the areas of fashion and how certain people really changed the look and the feel of it. But when you get into the 90s, it was a backlash against... The excess the and the glamazon yes. and being sort of perfect and, and buxom and all of that kind of thing, which in many ways, okay, it's, it's healthy to look that way, but everything else surrounding it, the money, the wealth, the riches, was incredibly unhealthy.
1: Well, I mean, the same thing is happening right now in the last couple of years. I mean, you know, I think there's a backlash to the Victoria's Secret Instagram girl moment with all the diversity and disability. And I don't remember the girl that has the um, the, uh, the, the skin kind of... You, uh, all those things are coming out right now. So, Winnie Harlow. Yeah, Winnie Harlow. Yeah. I mean, a beautiful girl. But I mean, that wouldn't have been acceptable a couple of years ago. You know, it's all about timing, isn't so it? So let's
0: talk about that. Because we had Jillian Mikado on, on as a guest at Shake yes. In and Instead. And she's extraordinary. And she was sitting here and really talking to us about, you know, how when she first got into the business. And, you know, you know, obviously, when you were modeling, there would be no chance that she could have possibly really modeled unless mm-hmm. it was sort of a one off sort of specialty thing that was happening. And certainly, you know, Winnie Harlow with, with the, the skin condition that she has is now a, a big star. And she actually got her moment originally from America's Next Top Model. That's where she was first discovered. Um, and, you know, certainly having worked on that show, not to say that Top Model was one of the reasons why the industry changed, but it was a part of that process. You know, and, and I know that Tyra spent a lot of time trying to really open the fashion industry up.
1: I think it's culturally. It's not just, I mean, look at what's happening in the film business too, you know? I mean, so it's, it's not just one industry. It's usually a a movement, a cultural uh, shift that's happening and it's happening in politics, you know? I mean, come on, you know? So I think that uh, those shifts, like you said, there, that things change and there, there is shifts. And I think that there's been one a lot in the last couple of years, especially in the fashion business that you have a lot more diversity, a lot more opening of what's acceptable and, and who could be the face of whatever. And, The same has been happening in the film business. Even the same has been happening in politics with more women and more people from diverse backgrounds being uh, elected. You know, so I I think it's just a movement in general. Now, sometimes the pendulum swings all the way, and it needs to like kind of find a middle ground. You know, but it needs to happen. So um, I just think that that's part of you know. And what is that a reaction to? I don't know. Was happening in the fashion business. It was a little bit more of um, a Victoria's Secrets Insta moment. You know, and so that. It got played and had to shift and the pendulum swung the other way a little bit. Not that that's still not part of what's going on, but...
0: No, now- no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think there are women now who are, would be embarrassed to carry a Victoria's Secrets bag around because of what it potentially could mean. You know, so it doesn't... It goes both ways. I mean, there's there are moments where all of a sudden you're like, yes, this is fantastic. I'm really celebrating this moment. Then there are moments where you're like, oh, actually... I don't want to be associated with that kind of perfection. I want to be, you know, associated with, you know, all women. I'm, you know, I'm for everyone. But then everyone. there are some
1: women that look like that, so they shouldn't be penalized no, of course. for it. You know what I mean? Come on. you, yeah, know, you can so... find
2: them in the Nigel's gym.
1: <laughs>
2: Absolutely. We have a lot of the victorious you could No, but at
1: the for. same time, then somebody like Ashley Graham is bringing in, you know, plus size and, you know, you know making that okay. You know, not, not that it wasn't okay, but, I mean, just like I said, the pendulum's swinging. To embrace all different types.
0: No, I think it's incredibly actually important, and, and again, this is where I, I have this discussion with people quite often because people often love to say, "Look, f- fashion is frivolous. It's silly. It's unnecessary. Like we give it too much airtime." But the reality is, is that every day people have to get dressed and they make a fashion statement. And if you don't see yourselves in ads, if you don't, if you can't find yourself in a magazine, if you can't see yourself in, in advertising. It can be very off putting, you know, I, I, you know, certainly as a, as a kid, when I was modeling myself, I was told time and time again, don't tell people you're Sri Lankan, tell people you're Hispanic because no one books a Sri Lankan. That's not a thing. You know, you need to be marketable. You look like you could be Hispanic. You look like you could be Latin. So let's go with that. A bit like you being told, don't tell people you're 21. That's old. Tell yeah. people you're 17. That's yeah, cool. Because
1: it changes how you look somehow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. somehow that makes so, people
0: feel that they've found something, something special, special, new, like and they can young. put you in and, and that thing. So the fashion industry has a lot to answer for. But in many respects, I feel that it's often been, it has been a reaction of what the consumer is after too. You know, maybe it's a step behind sometimes and, and, it, and it changes, but it, it, takes us, it takes a cultural shift. And I think that's sort of happening right now. People, there's a backlash where people are like, you know what? I'm sick of this concept of perfection. You know, I can have a skin condition and be perfect because that's me and I'm never going to get rid of this. Yet, you know, I've got friends. I've got something to offer. I've got people can love me and I can love them. You know, it's why shouldn't I be represented? And it's that kind of power, which I feel is, is very strong. And in a way, you know, the grunge movement was one of those original kind of moments where things, the, the pendulum shifted, not necessarily for the right in the right way at that but it because there were, there were issues with hair chic cheek, androgyny and grunge and things that were confusing and did separate people but it was a massive moment where society itself was sort of slapped across the face and said wake up you know and, and i think that's very powerful and so we have the ability within, within this industry to do that now You know, you mentioned that you now, uh, you know, you moved into acting and it doesn't just happen in the modeling industry. What's it like now as an actress? Because you started in a way kind of late in the acting industry, too, right?
2: Yes. Started really
1: late. <laughs> are you pretending, are you pretending
2: that you're I love to really you Give yourself a
0: round of applause then, for that. It's like, yeah. I'm like,
1: well, I'm just thinking of everything. No, I started something super early and something's really late. Um, yes. I Timing is everything. Timing is everything. I didn't. I started pursuing and really focusing on that probably close to 30, like in my late 20s. Um. And you know
0: most leading uh, ladies are what really when they when they, yeah uh, early sort of early 20s and they've been acting since they were sort of
1: kids. I the, the, I mean the biggest problem is that you know I'm against people that have a 15 to 20 year resume longer than my, you know that've been in the industry much longer than me because of that. I mean not that that you know means but it does it does mean something in is it end. hard having
0: been a model that people judge you on, on that?
1: I never really got that i mean i, I guess you know I, I was I was a very successful model, but I wasn't a household name so much that that's the only way people identified me. So if people saw me on screen, they didn't automatically go, "Oh, she's so-and-so. you know what I mean so I, I didn't have that problem thankfully um and and I didn't get that problem in the in the business. It pays
0: aspect. to be edgy.
1: I guess it does. Yeah. So I mean, most of what I did was quite, you know, I worked on The Shield for years. It was a pretty edgy show. Um, I did a, a bunch of independents that were, you know, um, well uh, well responded to, well respected, but on an edgier point. So I wasn't using the glamorous model thing to get me go.
0: But you go studied for hard for it. And you, and you do study hard. I mean, that's I something did. I know about you. you. You're often, whenever I ask you what you're doing, you're Going for a class, you're going. You're, you're studying this. You're studying that. you're doing screenwriting right now. You're studying how to do that, and you take these long courses. I mean, you do. You don't just sort of say, "Okay, I can do this," and kind of get it. You really do learn. You try to put yourself through the paces.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, you have to. You have to get. The, you have to get the knowledge or the information from somewhere, I guess. You know, knowledge and, is power. And then I think also it's again, you know, it's like now I'm developing stuff and producing stuff. You know, uh, I have to a documentary and a docu series that. We're uh, going out with now, and you know now I'm kind of what's uh, progressing into that part because i like creating you can, things. And you want and to. Yeah. I want to and I want to be the boss. <laughs> Hell. Hell yeah. So, so you, should you know, is you're at a certain age, you're like do I really want to wait around for things to happen or just should I create my own stuff? Okay, yeah, now I'm done. I, I want to create my stuff. And that I'm going to do, a, you know, a film tomorrow when I leave here so acting wise, but you know, I think that's that's, you know, um, the adaptability that you were saying where you had to just, you know, things aren't working exactly how you want them to. You got to change things up. No, and, and what's
0: it like being an actress, or, you know, a female actor working today? Is, is it quite different? Is, do you have to create your own work? Or is it, you know, is it difficult because you're being judged for your age? I mean, in this world at the time of empowerment, do you feel that it's still a man's world?
1: Uh, yeah. um i feel that a lot has changed um
0: i mean we live in tricky times
1: yeah we live in tricky times i feel like a lot has changed i feel like there's a lot of women that have done a lot of work to try to um move things forward i definitely feel like there's more available to women out there um than there was role-wise uh but I definitely think that, you know, if you look at the statistics, there's definitely more men on screen than women, you know. And the parts are – it's not it's not an equal situation. I think TV has opened that up a lot, you know, especially with the, the uh, Netflix and the streamers and everything else, that you have much more interesting roles for women. There is a, definitely a weird period, though. You know, you're over a certain age where you're not the hot, effable one anymore, but you're not the, like – Beat up mom or something, you know, and nobody knows really what to do with you, you know. You, they're they're definitely still in play that to a certain degree. So I would
0: describe you as a milf.
1: (laughs) You're not the first. There we go. There we go. And
0: I won't be the last. I'm
1: sure. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I think a lot has opened up, but I, I think there's still a long way to go, you know, um, in that regard. And I think a lot of women have taken – what they've done is start to create their own stuff, you know. And I
2: think a lot of people haven't done enough. I was reading this morning about your president is coming for a state visit to to <laughs> England in about a month. And because um, the prime minister, our prime minister, he's a female, invited him. A year or two, ago. anyway. Of course, the Queen will be hosting him, right? So, I'm sure she's loving. So that. far, we've got the leader of the oppositions refusing to go because he's a misogynistic, racist, bully. You know and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. The leader, of the, the Speaker of the House of Commons, is so far about ten male, ten males, um people in positions of power in our government have refused, are refusing to have anything to do with this state visit and are boycotting it and saying we're not going anywhere near the guy and you shouldn't be having. It he's been hosted by the people <laughs> predominantly by our female prime minister know, and our, our queen you know they and they're the ones who basically should be going i mean come on the queen could turn around and go i'm not having him in my house you know because do you know what I mean? But, but, but it- sometimes you have to
0: be the bigger person and I, it's interesting here where i feel that men uh, are absolutely tr- playing catch-up and realize that they've been so horrendous for so many years that they're now going to sort of you know it, it's easy to sort of almost in a political way say I'm pro women. I'm going to say no to this guy. When I, I, you know, there's an element of he is the president of the United States, wow. and you know, and but surely it, we can be, one be civil. And if you're trying to used, be diplomatic, no, it's,
2: it's the thing. Is it's being used as a kind of you know, the, no, the English and the Americans have this special relationship. Well, that's still there. It doesn't matter who the president is. Let's just try and keep, maintain that relationship. It doesn't matter who the president is, and actually. Sometimes it is it is really give this guy a state visit. I mean, he's, he rips up climate treaties. He does more. He has a you know look at the way he behaves. You don't know what the guy's part and Call you know what he's going to do from one day to the next. Boycott him. I mean, make a make a. Didn't they boycott
1: plan. him last time though?
2: They tried the. They first tried to. Time. So he
1: didn't have an official state. Then he
2: turned it into his own like. Yeah, I'm not and doing there were people it. protesting, yeah. and
1: then he said that he wasn't doing it because he had to be somewhere. He had or to be so somewhere had, else. You know, because he had to save face. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. as it is. I mean, I think this is a very interesting time. Yeah, you have all these people that are. We're talking about progressively pushing things forward and women's movements and diversity and all this. And on the other end, we got Trump yeah. <laughs> yeah. and also w- the people that support him and what they stand for. So it's, it's a huge shift politically, mm. you know, it, culturally, I wouldn't even just say it's politically. I would say it's, it's too culture, extreme. It? Well, I think it's we're, so at, we're at a point where it's sort of, we've, we've gone, divisive, one,
0: we, we went one step forward, but we're now sort of two steps back. And it, this happens. There's sort of a bit of a dance. I yeah. mean, you talked about the pendulum swing yeah. and it finding balance. I mean, uh, we're at a point where I think the pendulum is now swung again back in the wrong direction. And we're sort of now, but, but there may, may well be a huge swing in the opposite direction. We're going to see. But we have to stand up and we have to speak up and we have to sort of make a difference. I do love the fact, though. That, you know, that Theresa May and the Queen of England can actually sort of say, well, actually, you know what, we may not like what this guy has, has to say for himself or what he said. But, you know, we're going to be bigger than that. And we can be larger than that. And we can handle this. He's not our president. He's someone else's. But we didn't elect him in. We can be diplomatic and we can figure that out. And it's, it takes someone quite large to do that. You know, it, it's it's much easier to say no and run run She's away. How small the Queen is. What do you mean? Well, I know. I just hope he doesn't trip her up again. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, yeah.
1: I hope he doesn't trip get her up her again. Smack on the back, knock
2: her over. <laughs> Did you see the pictures the last time he came? Uh, he kept yeah. walking in front of her, and she uh, kept coming around the back. It was yeah, quite funny. Yeah. Well, quite, quite I mean, just, royal etiquette. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, let's he, see. Let's see what happens.
1: Yeah, let's see. Well, Theresa May
2: is having you know. She won't I mean, be, be around anymore. Anyway, she, she can't
1: even figure out the Brexit thing. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Oh, God, don't bring up Brexit. So
1: I'm like, hello. I'm like, you guys got enough of your own problems over there. I know. There. Quite frankly, <laughs> you know? we're not worried about it. We're
0: like, please, Trump, come over. And distract yeah. everyone. Yeah, Let's have the like, Trump show are you for a moment. part
1: of the EU? Think about it. It's brilliant. Are not part of the EU? Where are you? Everyone yeah. you know? yeah, yeah. will forget about Brexit mm. for just a minute. But actually, I have to be honest with you. I landed in Scotland the day the Brexit vote came through. Right. And I... We landed, and then the news came, and the minute I heard that, I was like, oh, shit, Trump could win. Yeah. I don't know why. Like, well, I you, was all like, of a sudden,
0: we realized that Brexit could happen. That's why. I, when Brexit,
1: oh. when you were like, oh, my God, this went through, it happened, oh. and then it just was a click for me. I was like, oh, my God. Trump couldn't, he couldn't, could He yeah, could actually yeah. win. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why the two yeah. – just the thought that you thought this this there was this small population or – small feeling. Yeah, well, for that, that reason as well. I don't know why well.
0: that clicked. Well, no, no, absolutely. It's a, it's very much click. I mean, I think that the world itself is shifting and there are a very, not just a loud group, but but obviously a significant number of people who want a different scenario, but that may not be what we are thinking. And, I, and what can you, what does one do about that? Do we just, you know, obviously we vote and we pick a, you know, a president or a prime minister and, and, you know, our own members of Congress and the Senate and everything else. But we have to somehow i think you know it's about teaching at a very early level the concept of compassion and caring and love. It's taking it back to the basics. And, and ultimately, so much of our behavior is based on just what's right for me right now. What's right for my term in government? I'm going to be the president. I want to do things that are going to be good for me, make money right now. It's not long term. It's not building. It's not caring. It's not loving. We, we don't care about our planet. We don't care about... We just... It's like, what the immediate reaction? How What's going to get me well, in tomorrow? It's not
2: simpatica. No. You know, it's not... There isn't a sympathetic kind of... Um, we need
0: leaders, we need proper leaders, and it starts from the parents themselves i think instilling it instead so many
2: people, i think in general instill this sort of inbred sort of hatred of everyone else well the brexit thing two hundred t- they reckon quarter of a million people who voted who, quarter of a million people who voted out are yeah. dead already oh and yeah. and so so
1: if they had the vote again those quarter million people yeah, wouldn't that's... be there well i mean it's it's interesting to watch this new generation actually because they're all very aware you know i mean that they they, they 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 can't not be you know they're just they're they're, yeah. they're, they're everything's right there for yeah. them you know and they see everything and you know they're the ones that have it to do active shooter thinking, drills in school the older they're one. the ones oh. that know that the environment is going and is it going to be there mm. you know is the water going to be okay and whatever so i mean i i put a lot of faith in them <laughs> um you know hopefully and i think you're right I mean, there's a there's a huge segment of the that doesn't want change because it's not in their favor.
0: Right, <laughs> that's it. Period. All they're caring about is themselves.
1: The story, you know, they don't care. They don't want change because it's not in their favor, and they're going to fight it. And that's basically a i think what we're seeing well, in it's the culture just their right own now. personal
0: bottom line it yeah. has nothing to do with or, what's best for everyone or
1: their immediate you know well, uh, we talk about
0: community but we really don't understand what it means
1: well i think the united states you know i mean unfortunately it doesn't have the same community sense of community that a lot of other countries have in, in a sense well yeah.
0: a lot of countries are similar i mean i think to the united states i don't think the u.s stands out alone in that way I um but it's certainly it, we're the, one of the more vocal ones um Wow, that was we took we that went we, we went we just we went took everywhere. that didn't we? We went there. We took it to Brexit. You Trump into it. <laughs> you,
1: you trump that people. Uh, yeah. You know,
0: <laughs> I want to talk about something that I, I, we both share, which is a, a, a large interest in, in um, mental health advocacy. Yes, and you've done a lot of work there. And you know, I've in, in my family have had many members of my family who have mental health issues. Um, and, um, what was it you know, for you? What dr- drives you to sort of want to make a difference and specifically in the mental health area?
1: Um, just like you, um, I grew up with a brother that, um, had a mental health issue. I grew up with two di- disabled siblings and they had developmental disabilities. And my brother, um, then had a mental health issue that was diagnosed, uh, in his late teens, right. early twenties, uh, he has schizophrenia, um, the combination of the two disabilities makes it even more hardcore. But I, I mean, you know, it's just the system in the States is is really so inadequate to deal with mental health issues. And, you know, I mean, they keep closing things and, you know, uh, closing down facilities and, you know, uh, the population is growing and you know, the mental health issues, especially with serious mental illness, there's a certain percentage of the population that will have a serious mental yeah, illness sure. and, and that is never going to change. Well, it's it hasn't not black and white. Time. No, it's not black and white. I think there's been a lot more. You don't wouldn't you agree? In the last, what like, is black four and white is
2: eighty percent. As eighty percent of the prison population suffer mental, some some sort of yes. mental illness. Right, that's black and white. That's mm-hmm. the same in England as is, is in America. In the eighties, Reagan I think shut all your facilities. I mean, most of the mental health facilities in the United States down. Kennedy so. started. So, was, that was it process, Kennedy? Actually, right. he did. Um, and then, he
1: wanted to make them community based, but nobody ever actually created community based. Structures and, and there was a reaction to the fact that the mental uh, there was a lot of abuse in the, in all these uh, mental health hospitals. So, so, so. so that that needed to change for sure. But yet there was nothing really put there to replace right. it. It was supposed to be community based, kind of you know whatever. But there was nothing ever put there. Yeah. So it just then years and years and years. You know yeah. they start shutting more and more and more.
2: It's woefully inadequate, and, and it, yeah. in England's the same thing. The the, the 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 mental health care, especially for teenagers, and i I've got to know a lot about this. Um, with, with teenagers is, is woefully inadequate and you know people kids are literally um um not getting the help they need when they need it the really basic stuff and as a result are taking their own lives and you know and and it's tragedy after tragedy after tragedy um and for some reason it's it's and it's a real i think it's a really telling sign of what we were just talking about actually You're looking after your most vulnerable yes you know, in society I don't know, in England. You I,
1: said that. You, the, so that is, is judged by how they treat them. How you treat them. Oh, yeah, no. I forget some famous quote. But yeah, and, oh. and so America's not doing a great job no. as what? England. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I mean, the world
0: over, it's, it's, it's always yeah. been, you know, people with mental health issues have always been, you know, you're crazy, you know, you're mad, you're, you know, that person's like, In certainly going places like Sri Lanka, which is, you know, part of my family's from the, the mental health situation there is horrific. You know, really, really terrifying. You know, so that it, and my sister took her life, you know, and so I've lived through this. I know how painful it can be and, and how difficult it can be. And, you know, and I, I myself have tried and continue to try to help. Sh- sort of shine a, a you know, spotlight on the issues and, and tr- see how we can fix it or what we can do. And you know, what is the work that you're doing right now? Are you working specifically with a group or have you, you work with different groups?
1: Um, I, I have done some work with an organization called the Treatment Advocacy Group, um, which is uh, a group that was founded by a uh, man by the name of Dr. Fuller, who he specifically uh, focuses on seriously mentally ill. And that's been the area that he's focused on. Um, for his whole life basically and and my brother falls into the category of seriously mentally ill and they've done a lot to uh, uh, AOt which is court ordered treatment you know um, where uh, people are forced to take medication because they need to take it they can't it's not mm. an optional thing um, uh, they've done a lot to you know bring awareness that the the jails have become are basically our mental health uh, institutions uh, institutions. Right. Um, And and what it does to somebody that has a mental health Mm. issue to be in jail, and they're not medicated, Mm. and they're thrown into solitary, and, you know, I mean, it's a crime, you know, it's a human rights abuse, actually, mm. you know.
2: And even if you're not, even if you haven't got it, someone said the other day, Jason Flom, I think, said, he does a lot of work for these people. Wrongful Wrongful conviction, yeah. Wrongful conviction, he was saying, you know, even if you haven't got a mental health condition, you know. You will you, you will. will
1: get one well that homelessness they say that about homelessness too, once you're homeless for a certain amount of time, even if you didn't have a mental, you will have a mental mm. health condition by a certain point right. because you have to everything's been stripped right. from you, mm-hmm. you know? So um, – and, and a lot of our homeless is mentally ill, you know? I mean and, – and I don't think there's any – there's a lot of support groups for – I think what's important too is that nobody can really help as much as family can too and there really isn't a lot of support systems for families mm. to be able to help. And so then they are forced to actually turn away the, their family members because it's too much and too much of a burden and taking mm. away too much from the rest of the family and then these people end up alone and on the streets, you mm. know? Uh, my brother disappeared by himself, and I didn't know, we didn't know where he was for six months, you know, um, and then turned up at a, an emergency room one day. I mean, that that's basically what happens. You know, we were looking for him, you know, but we couldn't find him. You know, he just, and and to this day, we don't know where he was all that time, you know. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the part. I mean, to be lost in your own mind, you know, is a pretty. Um, terrifying. It's a pretty harrowing kind of.
0: It is, a, oh, is, a, is It is indeed, it is indeed But it's very important that we obviously shine a spotlight And do what we can to make a difference And i got to say, this conversation has been One of those perfectly shaken and stirred conversations Because we have gone everywhere <laughs> I think we might have talked about just about every subject Known to man I love it when, we, this, when this sort of thing happens Because this is what we designed the show for Michelle Hicks, thank you very, very much For being mm-hmm. our guest, Michelle, very we love it Thank you Thank you, you. Thank, you. Nice.
1: thank you for having me Thank you